0: All right, so we'll say good morning. Let's begin. Today's daf is Pechas 88. We are picking up on the bottom of Peizanyin Amud base. So remember, again, in the Mishnah, in the Mishnah, we had the Mahlokis between Rabbi Meir... Well, uh, let's start... We shouldn't start with Mahlokis. Let's start with that everybody agrees with. So in the Mishnah, we spoke about the idea, the case of where a man said, a woman made a neder, and let's say husband heard the nether. And he said, "I know that my wife is making a neder, but I did not know that the nedarim that she is making are can be can be annulled by me." So in that case, again, her husband did not know of his rights. So the mice again, everyone agrees that when he does find out about that, he does have the right to annul the neder. In other words, saying that the yom shamo, the day of hearing, so to speak, ultimately begins when the husband becomes aware of his rights. The Machlokah's case in the Mishnah was where a husband says, I know I have the right to go ahead and annul a nether, but I did not know that this was the type of nether that I can annul. So in that case, Rabbi Meir says, Sorry, you know, once the day's gone by, you're done. You're done. Whereas the Chachamim say, No, you have the ability to annul the nether. And I will say, I want to just go back for just a moment and just l- spend a few moments on, the, on a Ran that I read too quickly yesterday, that I would just need it for today. So look at the Ran. Backwards is Rabbi Meir Omer Lo yoffer. So Rabbi Meir says, again, in this case, where he knows about, he knows about his ability to go ahead and annul the nether, but he did not know that this is the type of nether that he has the ability to annul. So says Duran, Rabbi Meir Omer Lo yoffer. so Rabbi Meir says, once the day elapses, he no longer has the ability to annul the nether. Right, Duran? The beamer shita is that bless you, that the husband cannot annul the neder both on the day that it was made, as well as on a subsequent day when he discovers the fact that this is a neder that, that can be annulled by him. So both say the Bimear holds like this in order to be able to go ahead and annul the neder, you have to be able to have full knowledge. You have to have full knowledge. Therefore, again, on the day that you heard the nedar, because you didn't have full knowledge, you can't annul it. But yeah, there's a little bit of a character 22 here. But says, on the other hand, having knowledge that you can annul nedarim, <coughs> but just not realizing that this neder was one that could be annulled, is too much knowledge to be considered partial knowledge. So as they see, here, yeah, this? Right, so on one hand, it's not enough knowledge to actually be able to annul the nether, but it's enough knowledge, I think Bansu mentioned this yesterday, to be able to know, like, do, like, ask the questions that need to be asked. You know you have this right, so do your homework and figure out what your rights are. So that's the sheet of Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir is, I can't annul it because I don't have full knowledge. On the other hand, it's enough full knowledge on the Yom Shom, on the actual day of hearing it, to prevent me from having the opportunity to annul it sometime later on. Ne- look at the next one, the Chachamim chacham say that you can annul it. So says Duran, Biyom Zeh, when the Chachamim say that in this case, where a husband knows about his rights, but doesn't realize that this is an annullable nedr, so the Chachamim say that the husband has the ability to annul it, but Rebose say, says the Chachamim on that day, on the day that actually makes the nedr, or the day that he hears the nedr, Biyom Zeh, the Sviraleh, See, remember, in Rabbi Meir Shittah, let me, let me show you the test case. Let's say, Rabbi a man says like this, woman makes a nether, woman makes a nether, and woman makes a nether, and husband says, I know I have the right to annul Nidarim, but I'm not sure that this nether is annulable. But you know what? I have a great idea. I'm going to cover my bases. I'm going to cover my bases. right? I hereby, I hereby wife, I hereby annul your nether. So Rabbi Meir says, that doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Because annulment of Nedarim requires full knowledge. You have to understand, A, your rights, and you have to uh, understand explicitly that this is an annullable nether. To annul things out of suffik, just to cover your basis, doesn't work. The Chachamim say, not true. The Chams say, if you annul things just with partial knowledge, that annulment works. That's the fundamental machlokis over here. You'll see why this is important. So now start the Gimara. So the fundamental machlokis is... Does partial knowledge work for annulment? Rabbi Meir says, no. And therefore Meir says, this is kind of like a catch-22. Therefore, you can't annul it on the day that you heard the nether, but you also can't annul it two days later when you figure out that this is an nullable nether because you had too much information on the day she made the nether. Chachamim say, partial knowledge is good enough for annulment. Therefore, if he just says, I'm going to annul the nether, even though I'm not 100% sure that this is an annulable nether, that annulment works. Says the Gemara or Minhu, we ask the Kasha below Ra'os, so this is actually very interesting. So below Ra'os, so again, this is, so the Torah says, if someone, this is talking about the murder bashogeg, somebody kills someone else accidentally. So the Torah is talking about over here that one individual kills another below Ra'os without seeing. So the Gemara says, pratlasuma. This comes to, so the halacha of course is actually this week's parasha as well. If you kill someone accidentally, then what is the halacha? You Have to go to the Ir miklot. So the Torah says, however, again, however, if somebody kills, so that's below Ra'os. Somebody kills accidentally, so go to Ir miklot. So it says, below Ra'os, <laughs> Praklesumon de Rabbi Huda. Rabbi Huda says, below Ra'os comes to exclude a blind person. A blind person. Take a look at the rank for just a moment. Or Minu, below Ra'os, Praklesumon, Misha Harag, Esanepesh, b'shogig Enogola. So this is very interesting. The says, Torah says, below Ra'os comes to exclude a blind person. Why does it exclude a blind person? Because below Ra'os makes it sound like here, when you killed someone, you weren't looking. But the inference is that what? Is that in other life circumstances, you are looking, you have sight. Therefore, someone who is below Ra'os at all times is excluded from this partial altogether. And therefore, if a blind person kills someone b'shogi, they don't have to go to the ear miklat. Rabbi Meir Omer, l'rabbo says asuma. So this is very interesting. Rabbi Meir holds that halokha l'maysa, below comes to include the summa, comes to include the blind person. Look at the ran. Rabbi Meir Omer, l'rabbo says ha-suma. ki'sheba because since even a blind person has partial partial understanding or partial knowledge, meaning he's able to sense when someone else is there, even though the blind person doesn't know exactly where the other individual is, because he doesn't see him nevertheless, even a blind person has a basic awareness. Also, we know this, that a person who's blind develops other senses very, very keenly and is able to sense the presence of others. Therefore, the might say again, that partial knowledge is enough to make him responsible for his accidental murder, accidental accidental act of killing. Also, I see here, the kasha, in the Mishnah, Rabbi Meir said that partial knowledge does not work. That's why if the husband just knows that he has the ability to annul but doesn't know that this nether is annullable, and he decides to just annul it to cover his bases, that doesn't work, because partial knowledge is not enough. Yet, here, when it comes to killing bishogeg, partial knowledge is enough to make you chay Partial knowledge is enough to make you responsible that you should have to go to the Ir miklat. because even, according to the Amir, the blind person is going to be liable for killing someone bishogeg and is going to have to go to the Ir miklat. Top of Pechas. Amar Rav, Rav, says, it's not a kasha. So we'll say, this answer, literally, this Pasik is independent, this Pasik is independent, which we'll say is another way of saying, it's apples and oranges, right? They're two, they're two dramatically different cases. And meaning, although you want to infuse a common denominator line of reasoning, that in fact is not the case here. What does it mean? So we're going to explain the case of, of killing B'shogei. So the Rabbi Huda Gabi Ksiv V'Asha Yavo Esrei Ehu Bayar so listen to this. The Pasik says, the Pasuk says, by the person who killed Bushog, this is actually this week's parha, right? So Yavo Esra So a person will come into the forest with his friend, so the Paskins, Kul Any person who is capable of coming into the forest is what? Is subject to the laws of miklat. Is subject to the laws of one who kills Bushogeg. Okay, because once remember, what Rabbi Hud is pointing out is the way the Torah frames the discussion is, Asher Yavo Esre'ehu Bayar. So Rabbi Hud sees that not just as a circumstantial description, but almost as like a profile. Who is the type of person that is subject to the laws of Ir Miklat? The type of person who could come into the Yar. Who does that come to include? The Summa Nami Bar Meyolayahu. A blind person is also capable of coming into the forest, and therefore he should be subject to the laws of ir miklat. Now, one second. V'e amrit below raos. The Rabbos says the Shabbos On one hand, we have the phrase the profile. Asher yavo Bayar, But we also have another profile, which is what below raos. That how do we describe the person who kills b'shogig? He kills with without seeing, without seeing. So, if you want to say that without seeing comes to include the suma, I don't need that. Why don't I need? Why don't I need below raos to include the suma? Why not? Because I already got the summa. I've already included the summa in the, the blind person in the parasha of Ir Miklat from Asher Yavos Ezra Bayar. Therefore, what does Belo come to do? Ela, Shma Minah Belo Raus Prat Therefore, I will say it must be, if, remember, if Asher Yavos Ezra Bayar gives me the general profile of any person who could walk into the forest is subject to the laws of Ir Miklat, and Belo is coming to exclude someone, so who is it coming to exclude, says Rabbi Huda? It's coming to exclude the blind person. Because again, remember, Ashiva Saray would include the blind person. Therefore, below Ra'os must be coming to exclude the blind person from the laws of Ir Miklat. That's Rabbi Huda's Shita. On the other hand, Rabbi Mir Ksiv Bivlidas, the Pasik says that the case of Ir Miklat, the case of killing someone B'shogay, is Bivlidas. So Bivlidas means what? Without premeditation. Without premeditation. I did not intend to kill this person. So, kol meida, which tells you Yobo say what? That the only people who are subject <coughs> to the laws of your Miklot are people who have Das. mean, when it says that I committed this act, bivli das, means here I didn't have Das, but what? In other circumstances, I have Das. So, v'suma lav bar meidu. Say, now we assume that a suma doesn't have Das. Yobo say, now what does that mean? When I killed someone below, below Bivli Das, it means I didn't see the person there. I didn't see the person. That, that's, that's the whole khap. I came into the, I came into the forest to go ahead and shop wood and I didn't see the person there. So the inference is that the person we're talking about is capable of seeing others in other circumstances. The Summa, however, lav <laughs> bar The Summa is not able to see others in other circumstances as well. Therefore, again, it must be that bivli das comes to exclude the Summa. The amrit below ra'os pratl summa. So what I say now again? Remember, Surya Meir says, my profile, my profile praises bivli das. So a person who doesn't, ha- a person who doesn't have awareness over here, which indicates that a person does have awareness in other areas of life or other circumstances. A summa doesn't have other, ad- awareness in other areas either should be excluded from the laws of ir Fine. So bivli das teaches me that summa is excluded. But I still have another phrase of what? below ra'os. <laughs> So what does below Ra'os teach me? Sevi'i amrit below Ra'os If you want to tell me that below Ra'os comes to exclude a blind person from the laws of Ir Miklat, then I don't need that. Why? Miblidas nafkale. I already learned that from Miblidas. Elishma minah below Ra'os Therefore says, therefore says, um, therefore therefore uh, who is this, Rabbi Meir? Thank you. Therefore it says Rabbi Meir that below Ra'os actually comes to include the Summa. So I'll say okay, the point that the Gemara is making over here is what? So first of all, fascinating machlok is Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Huda as to well whether or not the blind person is subject to the laws of your mikvah. Just so you should know, we pass passing like Rabbi Huda. And a summa is not subject to the laws of Ir So if a blind person <coughs> accidentally kills another, he does not have to go into Golos. And of course, again, the Gola Adam, the redeemer of blood, the relative of the deceased, of the person killed, does not have any rights to go ahead and kill that individual. So what the Imara is suggesting is the following. Remember, we thought, we thought that the Machlokis of Rehmeyer, Rabbi Huda here, was like the same type of Machlokis in the Mishnah. That just like in the Mishnah, Rabbi Meir says that partial knowledge is not enough to affect change. I would have thought over here also, partial knowledge is not enough to make you liable to the ear miklat to go to the ear miklat. But yet, Rabbi Meir holds that partial knowledge is what we, we call the blind person possessing partial knowledge, because he doesn't have full awareness. what Rabbi Meir says, that he does go to Eremiklat, so the Gemara positioned this as a kasha on the Mishnah, to which the Gemara says, not a kasha, two dramatically different things. Yes, the Mishnah is talking about how effective partial knowledge is. And Rabbi Meir says, it's not effective enough to allow the husband to annul the nether, but this discussion by the Summa has nothing to do with partial knowledge. Now, what does it have to do? It's fully rooted in interpretation of biblical verses. is how you dash in the psukim, and ultimately again, which phrase you use to create the profile. Which phrase you use to create the profile? Whichever phrase you cre- use to create the profile, ultimately then you'll use below Ra'os to create an exemption. So depending on how you create the profile, will ultimately determine how you understand the exemption. That's the fundamental machlokis, Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Meir. Says the Mishnah. Right. This is actually very interesting. So let's say I make a nether, that I don't want my son-in-law to get any benefit from me. Never happened, right? I don't, I don't, I don't want my son to get any benefits from me. So what happens? I want to give, want to give my daughter money. So remember, I don't want, my son-in-law, I, I made an editor that my son-in-law shouldn't get any benefit from me. So I can't give him anything, but I want to give my daughter something. So how do I do this? So first of all, he says to her, this money is given to you as a matana. This money is given to you as a gift. Um, on the condition that your husband has absolutely no rights over this money, no <inaudible> The way we're going to interpret this phrase is, and, and you, you should use this money ultimately, again, for your food, and the money should only really become, uh, and the object should only become yours once you actually put it in your mouth. Because once you put it in your mouth, then what? Then the mice again, the husband has no rights over it. So we'll, we'll define a little bit more what that means in the Gimara. But said, so let me draw your attention to the Ran for just a moment. So if you look up in the Ran, if you look in the Ran, it's a two, two, four, five lines up from the end of the Ran on the page. And it's five, six words in. Actually, seven words in. Ki amar sh'at no senas lafiq amai mehani. So so the the fundamental issue that we're going to deal with in the Gemara is how is it that a father is able to make this gift if at the end of the day whatever a woman acquires goes to who? Goes to her husband. So obviously again, he's giving this gift al tonight, and the tonight is is actually we 're going to see it's a double tonight part number one is this money is given to you on the condition that your husband has absolutely no rights in it, and somehow he's saying ultimately that it should be used to go ahead and feed you. you should go ahead and acquire it when it comes into your mouth so writes senas kisha. Amai Mahani, why why does this work when he says no What does that mean? So the Gemara says Hainu also Mishum Isha Sha So here's what's interesting that at the moment that a woman puts something into her mouth, literally she's she's about to eat it because the husband has no rights over that. So we'll say, what the Quran is pointing out is that the Mishnah is choosing its words very specifically. In that the only way for the father to give over something to, the, to his daughter without the husband having rights in it, is if she uses this for her own food. Because that food is going to be something the husband does not have any rights over. But if let's say he just says, go ahead and buy yourself some clothing or something... Husband would have rights over that clothing. Okay, fine. So we'll say same thing. Take a look at the rush for just a moment. So the rush is in the right hand is in the right hand margin. So in the first second white line of the rush. I'm sorry, we didn't get to this yet. I'm sorry. Now let's look at the gemara. So we'll say so this is the fundament. So this is the issue in the Mishnah over here. So remember, in this case, I want I I have the Nedar, I'm sorry. I'm not prohibiting my son-in-law from getting any benefit from me. But I want to be able to give my daughter something. The mission is telling me how to structure that gift to my daughter. <laughs> says the Gemara. <laughs> so remember, Rav says that this ability for the father to give his daughter a gift only works, only works when the father explicitly says, "I'm giving you this gift." And ultimately, again, you will acquire it when you use it for food and you put it in your mouth. But if the father just says, look, go ahead, here's the money, use it for whatever you want, what happens? Husband acquires it. So according to Rav, the only way for the father to convey this gift is is literally if he specifies that it's to be used for food and he understands that she'll only acquire it the moment she's putting it in her mouth. Shmuel says, no. Shmuel says, Shmuel says, no, not true. Even if the father says, here's the money, do whatever you want with it, the husband still does not acquire it, it's for the girl. So take a look at the rush for just a moment. Says the rush, it's the third to last line in the rush, fourth to last line. So we'll say, in Rav's model, it's not just enough for the father to give the gift with a Tanai. And the Tanai says what? That this is the gift on the condition that your husband does not have any rights. And that's not enough by itself. That Tanai must be accompanied by a statement that you can only use this for food and you acquire it when you put it in your mouth. Shmuel, on the other hand, holds that no. As long as he says this is your gift on the condition that your husband has no rights in it, she could use it for whatever she wants. Take a look at the rush again. So according to Rav, if he just gives it to her generally, then the mice again, husband will acquire it. According to Shmuel, on the other hand, if he gives it to her generally, as long as it was an explicit tonight that the husband has no rights in it, Husband will not acquire rights in the gift. Fundamental map So turn the page, I'll say, I'm, a bays. I'm a bays. So <coughs> keman azlah The D- S- D- Rav. So say, who does Rav hold like? Who does Rav hold like? K- Rabbi Mayer. Rav holds like Rabbi Meir. De Umar yad isha. So so Rav seems to go with the sheet of Rebbe Meir. Meir holds that the hand of a woman is like the hand of her husband. In other words, whatever a woman acquires, the husband automatically acquires as well. Therefore, according to Rav, the only way to get around this is to give a very... not just to give a gift with the tonight, the husband has no rights in it. That by itself won't work. It's got to be accompanied by a specified or specified usage of the item that the husband, uh, that the father ultimately is giving to the daughter. But say again, take a look at the rush for just one more moment. So the rush writes over here. Where's it for you guys? Left-hand margin? Good. Left-hand margin. So both say, so Rav clearly holds the Krabi Meir, Rabbi Meir holds that a husband acquires whatever his wife acquires and therefore l'maysa again in order to prevent the husband from acquiring the money that the father is giving to his daughter. There A, must be an explicit t'nai. This is your gift on the condition that, that your husband has no rights in it. And B, there must be a specified usage. It's for food in your mouth and you only acquire it once it comes into your mouth. So the Gemara says, or minhu, but we're going to raise the kasha. Does rather the Holy rabbi Meir. fin so, so this takes us back to our Eriven days a little bit. So how do you make a sheet of muvaos? So again, look at the rush for just a moment for a quick review as to what sheet of muvaos is. Ketzer mishnatven b'mavoy. Katserios hapsuchos lemavoy. I must remember again, in Talmudic times, the, the, they have the following setup: You had a number of homes that opened up into a joint courtyard called the Katser and a number of chaserahs that opened up into a shared alleyway called a mavoi. That mavoi would then lead out to the Rosh Hasharabim. So technically speaking, you could carry from a chater to a mavoi. Technically you can. But because the mavoi resembles Rosh Hasharabim, so chazal, the rabbis, wanted you to do something, some type of eruv for that mavoi. Remember what an eruv does is an eruv... Like a smoking, who it it combines everything, it draws everybody together. So how do you, so by so they don't call it an era of mubahos, rather right? they Shitov shituf So How do you make the shituf? So chaseres hapshuchos the mavoi. I'm reading the rush osros zo al zo. Letal tal the mavoi. You the chaseres miuchados the balein va'mavoi the <Hebrew> So again, again, without a Shitov, you can't carry from the chaser to the mavoi. The gazrek hachamim d'il ma'asilaf v'okim m'rushas ayachim le'rushas arabim. So we'll say the chazal were concerned that if we allow you to carry from your chazal to the mavo, you may come to what? Now remember, chazal to the mavo looks like a sayach et sarabim. You may come to do that from a little urush sayach to a little sarabim. Therefore again, the rabbi said you have to do a shitov. So we'll say, so what happens? When everybody contributes to the sheet of muvao's, it looks like everybody lives together in one particular area. So how do you go ahead and do the, the, the sheet of muvaos? Go back to the Gemara. You take a barrel of wine. Now again, it doesn't have to be wine. The Rash, the Rash points out it could be wine, it could be prasthegs, it could be whatever you want. But you take a barrel of wine. And you make a statement and you say that what? This barrel belongs to all of the members of the Mavoi. So now let's say I am the one, I am donating, the Silver Family is donating the barrel of wine for the Sheet of Mubals. Now remember, the Sheet of only works if what? if everyone has an ownership interest in it. So fine, it says, very nice that I say, this belongs to everyone. Of course, you know, in halacha, saying that this belongs to everyone doesn't mean anything. Somebody has to actively, I am the owner of it, I want to convey it to everyone. Someone must acquire it on behalf of all of the residents of the Mavoy. Now so you could do that, remember again, because of Zakma shlo Befanov. So I can acquire something on your behalf, even without your knowledge, if it's objectively beneficial to you. So this is objectively beneficial to be able to walk into the Mabui. So I I say I'm donating the barrel. Now I need someone to acquire it on behalf of all of the residents. So who could do that? I could ask my Jewish servant or maidservant to acquire it on behalf of the residents of the Mavoy or, or through my adult children. i of my adult children is what? They're independent of me, hopefully. Right? They're independent of me. So because they're independent of me, therefore the mice, again, they could acquire it on behalf of others. Oh, and who else could acquire it on behalf of all the residents of the Mavoy? Who else? My wife. Which indicates what? That my wife is a separate, independent entity from me. Because remember, again, I wanted to point out, I just want to point out that halacha lemaisa. if, remember, in order, in order for me, see, I, as the owner of the wine, cannot be the one that conveys ownership to everyone else. just the din in Kenyan. The owner can't be the acquirer. So I want to give everybody the wine, but lemeisa again, what? But lemeisa, I need, I need someone else to be able to acquire it on their behalf. The what's the what's the job description for the person who's going to acquire it on behalf of the residents of the Malvoy? What's the job description? Not me. Has, not me, right? It's a very simple job description. The person just can't be me, or can't be an extension to me. That's why again, I can't use my minor children. say I'll tell you where this comes up. Truth so is, this happens in my house all the time, not with the Mavui, but you know when we make an Erev Tafshilin, so we do the Erev Tafshilin on behalf of the entire shul. So it's very nice if I own that egg and that matzah, or whatever we use for Erev Tafshilin, so I can't make the Erev Tafshilin for my family and also go ahead and convey ownership of that to the entire kila. That requires the presence of a third party. So the Gemara is now saying over here that a wife could serve as that third party to acquire on behalf of the people of the Mavli. I don't understand. You just got finished saying, meaning, Rav is one who just got finished saying what? I should say Rabbi Meir is one who says that that the hand of a woman is like the hand of her husband. Therefore, again, whatever she acquires, he acquires. Well, if that's the case then why should she be able to acquire the Shittuf on behalf of the other residents of the Mavway? That would essentially would be the equivalent of the husband taking it from one hand and placing it in the other, which of course does not work. To which the Gemara says, listen to this. Amar Yad responds, You're right. Even though under normal circumstances, Rabbi Meir says that the hand of woman is like the hand of her husband. Modi Rabbi Meir Inyan Rabbi Meir agrees that there's an exception to this rule, which is in this particular case of shituf Muvos. He agrees that although normally, again, a husband has the wife's, whatever wife cries comes to the husband, her hand is like his hand. This is the exception. This is the exception. This is, the exception. This is very interesting. Because since ultimately, again, he wants her to acquire, ultimately, on behalf of others, Therefore she is able to acquire from him. Now what does that mean? So take a look at the Ran for just a moment. The Ran says, Mod Rabi Mayor the Inion Sheet of Theban Delis <laughs> Delischus La Zakus Lahir Baila Zahya, the Nehidam Rabi Mayer de Incana Ibn Rabi Mayor said that normally a woman can't acquire separate from her husband, Hanimilivla Akher Matana. So also listen to this. When do we say that whatever a woman acquires, her husband acquires? That's when she is receiving something from a third party. You see, he has control over her Yad. He has the acquisition power over her Yad. So if she receives something from a third party, he has the ability to acquire that. <inaudible> Listen to this. Rabbi Meir agrees that what? Rabbi Meir agrees that lamaysa, if the husband gives something to his wife, then I will say, what does that automatically assume? What does it automatically assume? That he wants her to acquire it, which means that what he's saying is like this. If I'm giving you something, it means I want you to have it. If I want you to have it, then for that act, what I am doing is I am removing my ownership over your hand so as to allow you to acquire the item. Because otherwise, what's the point of him giving her something if ultimately it just becomes his anyway? So I'll say this is actually quite amazing. And in fact, if you look at the, look at the rush, just for one second, the the Rosh says, Since in this case, what's happening over Rabbosai, remember, the husband is giving over the barrel, to, he's going to ownership of the wine to the woman. The only way this works is how, is how, is if she's able to acquire it. So if he's just giving it to her, but he still retains ownership interest, not ownership interest, uh, acquisition interest over her hand, I should say, is, does it make sense? acquisitory power? Is that such a word? No? That sounds so good though. This morning. Right? Right? I'm sorry? This morning. Lord. This morning. Uh, he answered, like, if he maintains the power of acquisition, her power of acquisition, then Lemaissa, again, the whole thing doesn't work. So obviously, if he's giving it to her, the unspoken statement that he is making is, for this moment, I am removing my rights over your yad. Because I'm removing my rights over yad, therefore you have the ability to acquire it on behalf of the other residents of 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 the of the alleyway. See he goes on, look, look at the Rush. He says He says, so We'll say so again remember, this is not unique over here. Essentially what the Gemara is suggesting is like this, that even Rabbi Meiru holds nevertheless will agree that that concept really is stated in reference to things that she receives from a third party. Whatever she gets from the outside, he has the right to take that item. But if he himself is giving her something, and it's clear from the circumstances that he wants her to own that item that he is giving her, then clearly what he is doing is he's removing his own ownership interest from it, so as to allow her to acquire. So in this case, he wants to give over the barrel to the residents of the Mavui. He can't do it himself. He needs an independent third party. When he gives it to his wife, what he's essentially saying is, here, acquire this on behalf of the residents of the Mavui, which by definition requires me to remove my acquisition rights over your hands. And that's in fact what he's doing. I'm back to the grammar, I'm sorry. So the Gemara says, so Rabbi Meir normally holds that the hand of a wife is like the hand of her husband. In other words, that the husband has the ability to acquire from her hand. Rabbi Meir agrees in this case of That Since the whole point is that the husband wants her to acquire it on behalf of other people, she's able to acquire it from her husband, which means that he is able for that moment to remove his rights over her hands. So, so I say, remember, where the Gemara is holding right now is that it's not a stira. It's even Rabbi Meir, who holds isha only really makes that statement with things that she receives from a third party, but things that she receives from her husband, which the husband clearly wants her to acquire, he removes his rights so as to allow her to acquire. but Ravina raised the to Ravashi. We'll shezachin again? Still in sheet of this, here is a list of the people whom the man could give over, let's say, the barrel of wine, to be able to acquire, to be able to acquire the barrel on behalf of the residents of the maulin. Who are they? <laughs> my adult children, Ab U Ibrim, my Jewish servant, because well as, as much as they're my servants, they are still separate autonomous beings. And these are the people that cannot acquire on behalf of the people of Mavoi. Who are they? My minor children, because they're they're an extension of me. Therefore, they can't acquire on behalf of the people of the Mavoy., My non-Jewish servants are made servants because they are considered to be property. And therefore, they're also an extension of me. And my wife. So, so now we have, how we have a blatant contradiction because over here, what does the Brahisa say? Or, okay, read the clearly says, that lamaisa again, a wife cannot acquire on behalf of the residents of the mavoi, which again, now on one hand, this is a problem, on the other hand, it actually works okay. On one hand, it's a problem because it contradicts what we just said before, on the other hand, it just affirms Rabbi Meir Shita of yad isha kiyad bailam. So how do we reconcile all of this? To which the mercy, Rather, Ravashi says, Masnisin b'shiesh l'chatser ba'osa Oh, so Ravashi says something very interesting. That what's the case when the Mishnah said before, that Lameisa, a husband, could convey ownership to the residents of the mavoi by giving over the barrel to his wife? That's a case of where she herself owns a chatser in the mavoi. Look at look at the Ran for just a moment. Ela'amar Ravashi, Ki katani ha'mizak What's the case of where ultimately again she could acquire it on behalf of the residents of the mavui? That's when she herself also has the chater in that same mavui. Okay. So we'll say again. So the ranks the, she doesn't. For our purposes right now, it doesn't matter how she owns it. But the point is, she owns it, and her husband has no rights in it. Therefore, what? Therefore, what? Therefore, the Migo de zachil, and I'm reading the Gemara, since she's able to acquire for herself, Zahil Akhrini. So will say, so since by definition she has to acquire part of that barrel, because again, she has a vested, she has an ownership interest in the, in the Chatur, she has a chater, therefore she has an ownership interest in the Mavui. So because she is one of the Mavui participants, and therefore since she has to acquire on behalf of herself, therefore what? Since she could acquire on behalf of herself, she could acquire also what? Yes. On behalf of others as well. Take a look at the rant for just a moment. Since she has to acquire for herself because she has a chatter, therefore she has to acquire her own portion of the sheetuf, therefore what? She has the ability to go ahead and acquire and acquire for everyone else as well. So I will say. So therefore, again, two two different reconciliations of this particular and I will say now. It's interesting to note that lemaisa. So let's say for again, th- th- this comes up. It could, could come up but let's say it comes up also. Technically speaking, through let's say the Erev uh, of the the uh, um the of um, tavshilin case. So how do we pass with the era of tavshilin case? So I will say it's interesting. So the halacha is the It's preferable not to use one's wife as the party to acquire on behalf of the community because if you see over here remember this seems to end off a little bit of a makhloke as so that's how exactly this works so better not to but lamais again if there's no one else around who could serve as that person to acquire on behalf of the community then lemaisa again, the wife could serve as that conduit to acquire on behalf of the entire community, and the logic being that even though we say yat by law, yet husband has the rights to remove those rights from her hand. In a situation where he Dafka wants her to acquire something, he has the ability to say, and it doesn't even have to be spoken; it's understood circumstantially that lemaisa even though. I normally acquire everything that comes into your hand. I am hereby removing that right so as to allow you to acquire either on behalf of yourself or on behalf of others. All right, so we'll stop over here. we will pick up with the Mishnah tomorrow. Just, oh, let me just actually read you one last piece of halach. I'm sorry. So just so remember, we actually totally got into a tangent over here. The way this sugya got started was, remember, again, the fa- husband, our father wants to give his daughter a gift. The problem is what? The problem is what? He went ahead and he made an idea that his son-in-law can't get any benefit from him. So remember, we we had a machlokis between Rav and Shmuel as to how he has to structure the gift. According to Rav, the only way to give the gift is how? This is the gift on the condition that your husband has no rights in it, and you can only use it for food. You only acquire it once it comes into your mouth. Shmuel says no. You can give the gift and you can say, as long as you say this is your gift on the condition, your husband has no rights in it, that's absolutely fine, and she can use it for whatever she wants. How do we paskin? So the Shulchan Arach in (laughs) Reish, Chaf, Beis, Sif, Aleph, Reitz, the following. Hamudar mechasno, a man makes an edder that his Son of Allah can't get any benefit from him. V'hu wrote, said, La seix lebit o ma'os, k'deish shatei nanis bohem. O ma'otzi oseh mechafatza. Hariz enosin lo, v'omre lo, hariz ma'os musum lochem matano. O b'lva'at shlo yeheyle ba'aleich rishus bohen. And in fact, as long as there is an explicit tonight that says, this gift is for you, and your husband has no rights in it, she can use it for whatever she wants. That's how the alocha is. So I'll we'll stop over here. I'll really stop. We'll pick up the Mishnah Mirat Hashem tomorrow. support, right? It's like a Kudosh Bar who he owns everything except he removes his ownership to allow us to possess those. but that's basic what